You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everybody, how you doing? Locked On Browns, episode 127. Uh, you know, normally, you know, we handle everything, you know, the post game on Monday. We start to do, you know, the, uh, you know, the next opponent prep Tuesday and Wednesday, We've been able, you know, to have Thursdays, obviously, you know, with an 0-12 record and a team constantly on the rebuild. We were able to, you know, dedicate our recordings to draft Thursdays. And then all of a sudden, that absolutely got shot to heck today um, with the announcing that uh, Sashi Brown has been relieved of his duties. Oof. Uh, there's just so many ways to go with this. There's just so much. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the you know the Browns when they're trending it's usually not a good thing and it's damn near twelve hours now that they're trending uh, so you know reached out uh, was able to get Jordan Zern back here with us again today uh, you know second time on the show for Jordan uh, Jordan without much further ado uh, you know quick you know maybe short comment to start us you know quiet day in Berea yeah you know just another December in Berea where everything is quiet Berea. and things things are <laughs> things are normal and all that stuff yeah it's um. I mean, I think it kind of happened around like 10, 20, 10, 30 this morning. So kind of, you know, when everybody's getting their, getting their day started an hour into the day or so, and then that kind of hits you and kind of turns your day upside down. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot to unpack and I know we'll get to all of it, but just kind of initially, initially, I guess I would say I'm not as, um, I mean, I'm disappointed obviously, but I, I, I would say I'm not as surprised because this sort of felt there's been a lot of things in the last few weeks that have kind of pointed to this happening. Um, so I wasn't as surprised as I thought I might've been had this happened, I don't know, a couple weeks ago or whatever it may be. I think there's a lot of things going on, um, recently that pointed to the power struggle swinging in the direction of Hugh Jackson. So, um, I am, I am most definitely disappointed and we'll kind of get into reasons why, but, uh, I will say that this sort of felt like the inevitable conclusion to, uh, this quote unquote experiment that Jimmy Haslam no longer wants to participate in. Uh, my first initial reaction is, um, you know, I have my own small business here in New Jersey. If you were faced with a decision where you have two employees and obviously you need to move on from one of them. The first thing you do is you sit down and you look at what each guy has done for you. And I mean in regards to their job. Not who you like better, not who your boy is, which guy is better for business. Now, I look at the previous two draft classes. I look at now a team last year, you know, in the, what they were able to do in free agency, selling a 1-15 in 15 product. Now I look at what he's done for me in the draft throughout. 24 guys drafted, 20 guys still part of this team. Some of these guys, you know, are going to make fourth, fifth years in the NFL, which is a remarkable, remarkable job there. Now I have an offensive-minded, quote-unquote, head coach. My offense is terrible. His record is 1-27 as head coach. So, yep, you want to know what a change needs to made, and I'm going with the head coach he stays, the guy who picked all the players which I like. My roster's good, even if it's 0-12, but we're going to keep the head coach. Yeah, it's, um, it's, hard to, it's hard to make sense of it all. But, I mean, I think it, there's so many different kind of tentacles to this, but I think, like, if you just look at, at Jimmy Haslam and sort of this, 
this track record that he has and the this sort of sense from people that have covered him and know him about how he is he you know he's a guy that's reading coverage of the Browns and he's a guy that's out there listening to listening to people whether it's um, outside the organization people he knows in different organization whatever it may be like I think he's I think he's very easily influenced uh, which is very um, evident in how often he's changed his mind and fired people since he's um, taken the position that he has in owning the, the Cleveland Browns. So I think it all starts there with him. Um, and I think he was very easily influenced by by Hugh Jackson and whatever Hugh has kind of done to kind of go up and above Sashi and kind of forge this relationship with Hugh Jackson where it seems like they are already dead set on keeping him for, for another season, regardless of how the rest of the season shakes out or you know, whatever GM they're going to hire now, which, you know, you would hope they would have the flexibility to tell whatever GM candidate they're interviewing that, look, if you don't want Hugh Jackson, we'll get rid of Hugh Jackson. Like that needs to be something that, um, it is there because you can't just pair two people who don't have, you know, who, who can't work together or who want to try and work together and they're going to waste a year seeing what, you know, seeing if that relationship can exist. So, but I do think that um, it's, it's going to be really difficult regardless as the Browns move forward, as long as Jimmy Haslam is, is running the team, because you can't go from this two years ago in 2016 or last season, excuse me, saying, okay, here, we're going to do this this, this quote-unquote plan. We're going to completely rebuild this team, and I'd like to give you guys three years at least, and um, we want to see where it goes. And then you, you start to panic, and you get influenced by your head coach, who is also panicking and acting like his, the world depends on him getting one or two wins. And then you you abandon ship, and it's not even he didn't even Sashi didn't even get two years. He got he got two drafts and a half a season. So um, they didn't even make it to the end of the second season before Haslam is hitting the the eject button. And this is what he's done with everybody since he's since he's purchased the Cleveland Browns. And I don't know how you can have any confidence that moving forward that Jimmy Haslam is someone that's going to make right decisions, is going to be patient, is going to be able to properly evaluate his football team that he owns because I think he's so easily swayed by people. And that to me, and we'll get into obviously Hugh and Sashi individually, but to me, that's where it starts. Um, and if, you know, no one can fire Jimmy Haslam. So it, it, unless he's indicted <laughs> or unless he decides you know, he's going to sell the team, you have to, you're stuck with him. And that, to me, is one of the most disheartening things. Well, I mean, that was one of the things that saved the New York Yankees years ago is that uh, George Brunner had gotten himself, Scheinberg had gotten himself so deep that, you know, he received a three-year suspension and the franchise was able to be turned around. So, you know, maybe there is that avenue. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe there is. But it was nice that Jimmy, you know, after spending, you know, eight to nine days of, you know, destroying the Tennessee football program and any potential <laughs> hire they could get as a football coach, decided to take his nose out of that for a day and set a blaze up here to, uh, you know, the product that he actually does own. Um, guys, just a quick reminder, obviously Thursday, we normally do Locked On Draft, but obviously, you know, today's news obviously has changed that. But please check out Locked On Draft. I'm sorry, we do Draft Thursdays. Please check that Locked On Draft with John Ledyard, Trevor Sakama. They do a great job with that. So go ahead, uh, give that a listen. You know, maybe you can get your draft fix this week. You know, we'll get back to that next week. But go ahead and give the uh, guys over there a listen. 
Now, getting uh, moving on here, Jordan. Like you said, we're going to get a little bit in here individually. Um, your takes on Sashi, what have you done to this point? And, you know, for me, you know, like, like I said, with the resumes, I, even though it's 0-12, and, and this is what I've told all of you guys. Now, I'm, I'm newer to this than, you know, so a lot of you, you know, a bunch of you guys. Even though it's 0-12, I like the on-field product. I do. Yeah, it's, you know, he's always going to, obviously, the downfall of Sashi Brown is always going to be tied to Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson. And I, I understand that, and I, I get that, and um, there's no way around, even though Deshaun Watson is still a pretty small sample size, and, you know, I like Deshaun Watson, so I hope he fully recovers, and I hope he continues to play well, but we can't really come to a final conclusion on Deshaun Watson yet, but all signs point to him being the quarterback of the Houston Texans for the foreseeable future. So, look, I understand that they had the opportunity. They didn't, they didn't have to trade to any of their picks or anything to just sit at where they were and take Carson Wentz at number two back in 2016 or take Deshaun Watson at 12 um, this season. So I... I understand that that is that is always going to be tied to Sashi Brown, um, but if you kind of move on from that, and I, and I do think that there is some revisionist history when it comes to Carson Wentz, because um, lest we forget, he played for North Dakota State, and there was a lot of differing opinions um, on I'm Carson. On. I'm yep. on. I take and that I, L. I take that L. I take it too, and I but I even thought that last year. As a rookie, I did not think he was very good. I thought that there were a lot of things he struggled with, um, yep. and he and he made a really big leap from year one to year two. So that's a credit to him. That's a credit to the Eagles for developing him. Um, credit to good coaching, which you know that we'll talk more about, but I don't think is really happening here in Cleveland. So um, you know he he worked on his craft and became a good quarterback. But I, I will certainly buy the explanation if if that's what you want to call it that sashi was not ready to bet his entire draft on a, a quarterback from north dakota state his very first draft is the browns gm and um you know we we don't know what hugh jackson wanted but we know that he at least was very interested in jared goff and um according to his guy mike silver did not want um to take once at two either so that can be put on everybody in the organization for passing on Wentz, not just sashi brown so um i do think there's a little bit of revisionist history when it comes to that so um but when you when you just look at what you know if we look at the picks that were actually made and then where the browns are in a position in terms of year three this is what stands out the most to me is that i think especially defensively the Browns have a, a pretty solid and young foundation, um, especially on the defensive line where you're, where you're moving. You're going to move into a year two, Miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobi, who I think is going to be a phenomenal run stopper in the middle. Um, and then you're going into year three of Emmanuel Agba, and you already saw the leap he took from year one to year two. Unfortunately, you know, he, he broke his foot and, you know, has missed the rest, is going to miss the rest of the season, and that's a huge blow to this defense. But he'll be back um, for a third year. Um, we talked about, or excuse me, I, bringing up just Derek Kindred, who I tweeted earlier, but I forgot that Derek Kindred was a fourth-round pick. Like, I believe he was 126th sixth overall. Um, he's turned himself into a really nice 
player, whether he's playing the safety position, whether they're using him as like a linebacker, um, but he's phenomenal at the line of scrimmage and playing against the run. Um, that's a guy that Sashi unearthed and, and took, and I don't think anybody really gives him enough credit for, like, that's a, that's a phenomenal pick. Um, yep. Another thing we looked at was, you know, Matthew Days over the last few weeks has um, turned into a really good kick returner um, in, a, in a time when the kick return has kind of turned into just touchbacks and fair catches. And um, the last couple of weeks, he's had a handful of huge returns. They got Matthew Days in the seventh round. Um, so, I mean, David Njoku looks like he's going to be legit. Um, and he's learned in, over the past, past few weeks, it looks like he's learned how to block too. So now he's hopefully is going to start seeing the field a little bit more. Um, set the valve, I think, is a very serviceable tight end. So, I mean, there are plenty of names, and I just ran through a lot of them that that you can point to that, um, you know, especially on the defensive side that Sashi has found. And that, that's not really even counting, like picking up Brian Body Calhoun off of waivers or trading a seventh round pick for Jamar, Ta- for Jamar Taylor uh, from the Miami Dolphins. So, I mean, like, not, not to say that Jamar Taylor is this fantastic cornerback. And I think Body Calhoun is very good, but I think there's room for him to improve. But um, I think there's a lot of things that Sashi did well. And I think he did enough things well that, he should have been able to get into this third year because going back to my, where I wanted to kind of go with this is they're so set up in 2018 in this draft. They have two first round picks that are probably both going to be at least number one overall. And then another one, hopefully in the top 10, if not just outside of that. Uh, they, and then they have three second round picks. So you're talking about five picks in the first two rounds alone and they can take a quarterback number one overall. It doesn't seem like there's really going to be a bad option between Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson. And I'm a little wary of Sam Darnold, but I don't know if he's going to come out or not. So that could be a moot point. I mean, they can, they can turn this thing around immediately by taking a quarterback. And maybe that, maybe last year, Sashi Brown looked at this upcoming quarterback class and said, I'm in love with Josh Rosen or I'm in love with Baker Mayfield. I'm going to, I'm going to wait and we're going to take that guy. We'll never know that, but that could have been a part of his plan. So I just think it's unfortunate that he's not going to get to reap the benefits of what he's the groundwork he's kind of laid, and then the amount of picks that they have in this upcoming draft, where they're really going to be able to have a huge influx of talent to kind of put already onto this team that is young and full of potential and skill. And I, I really do think that if they hit on some things in this draft and in free agency this summer that they are going to have a legitimately competitive team next season. And I, I don't know whether or not people are ever going to look back and say, um, just remember who kind of built that. So it's kind of like, a, as he said in his, um, I believe his statement, it's going to be a little bit, bit bittersweet if the Browns do turn it around. And I would agree with that. It'll be bittersweet for him because he won't be there um, to kind of bear those fruits. Um, yeah, well, a couple of things off of that. And just what you closed with, it, it, you know, Cleveland may forget about it but it's going to lead Sashi to a really good job somewhere else. Yes, hopefully. Um, now, the quarterbacks that they passed on, yes, you passed on Carson Wentz. Yes, you passed on Deshaun Watson. But everyone keeps saying this with the, the premise that they just took another player instead. No, you traded out. You built foundational pieces. You built an offensive line. You built a defensive line. You added players everywhere. It's not like you chose somebody else over a potential QB1. That's what aggravates the living daylights out of me. And now, here's the other one. Going into this 18 draft, now you have $80 million in cap space. You want to know what? 
if they liked, if they loved the Kirk Cousins, if they loved the Tyrod Taylor, you have a much more sellable product now. You have the cap space. You can get any quarterback you want who's available. You have the money to get him. And you have, hey, look, look what we got here. Young, hungry, guys getting better. And now I hold the number one pick in the draft. And even after I take that QB at one, I still, of the next 64 picks in the draft, I have five of them. I mean, how you let this guy check the boxes and get to this point, and, you know, it maybe it aggravates me that you didn't make the move in week eight if, you know, he was this upset with it. And, look, we all know that this this was over Halloween. Once the A.J. McCarron deal did not get done, it was over. Yep. Jimmy wanted it. Hugh wanted it. You know, thank God wherever Sashi was, you know, granted because maybe it was 5 o'clock in the afternoon and he was home. Thank God somebody woke up real quick and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are we trading all the – why would we trade for A.J. McCarron when we can have the best quarterback in this draft and not trade a damn thing to do it? So, you know, that's where my aggravation is, uh, you know, and the frustration. You know, it, it almost seems, you know, you know, Jimmy seems like the dad who, you know, pulled his daughter out of the wedding here. You know, you know, Sasha, you know what? No, you're no, no longer good enough for my bride over here, Hugh. Yes, I know she's got some, you know, like Mr. Krabs' daughter, Pearl. You know, I know <laughs> she's got all her warts or whatever, but no, 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 you're not good enough. But, man, it just, that's the part that, that really gets me going here. And, it, and, and I almost get, like, the feelings in my chest here, so I think I'm I'm really getting into Cleveland a little bit here now. <laughs> that's now, when I mean, you know. I, I, I think now I know I'm in. But, uh, you know, I'm going to let you go here. Uh, now, give me some thoughts. Uh, now let's get a little bit more to the Hugh side of this. You know, and, and look, it's not that, it, you know, nobody likes Hugh. I think everybody generally thinks he's a good guy. Um, but before you give your comments, I'm actually going to give, this was one of, my, one of my favorite tweets I saw on Hugh today. And this was from uh, Andrew Siciliano. Hugh Jackson on Source of Reports, uh, a source of reports of Discord in, in the building. There's been a lot. <laughs> this has been a leaky place for years. Hopefully some of that will go away over time. Really, Hugh? Did you really, really say that there's a lot of leaks coming out of Cleveland? Really? Because I, Mike Silver is the reason for it, and I don't think Mike and Sashi hang out. Yeah, and it's like, I just, he cannot help himself in press conferences. He just kind of like says whatever pops into his head, and it's usually um, something that you're just like, what are you talking about? Like, not only did he say that about the um, organization being leaky and not only is he have like a, a friendship with Mike Silver it's not even like a it's more than just like a reporter subject relationship it's, it's a like bromance, they're, it's yeah, a bromance. They're, they're friends and I'm very I don't fully understand how like the NFL network is kind of just like cool with their reporter covering somebody he's friends with but that's another conversation I have another day um, but also um, Benjamin Albright, who um, works out of yep. Denver, um, yep. was, getting, was getting emails from people on the coaching staff who were leaking emails to him. And those people were brought on by Hugh Jackson. Like, those are people under Hugh Jackson and part of Hugh Jackson's coaching staff. So, like, I don't know what other leaks we're talking about other than the ones that are coming from the coaching staff. So, I mean, that is just, like, one of the most absurd things I've ever heard. And then he also had this comment about... Now, he didn't want to hire an offensive coordinator because the talent on offense wasn't good enough and he didn't want the offensive coordinator to be a fall guy, <laughs> which is which like just doesn't make sense in so many ways. It's like, so you're saying that if you did have an offensive coordinator, things would be better, 
but you didn't do it because you, you now you're saying the players you have aren't good enough. Like I don't, I, I'm sure that's going to go over swimmingly in the locker room. It's just like he just sort of talks out of his ass a lot of the times, and you're just like, it, it's really frustrating because. I mean, I like when they hired Hugh. All you heard were these glowing reports of what a great guy he was and what a great football coach he was, and he's deserved another chance to coach ever since he was sort of unfairly fired um, after going eight and eight in Oakland. And um, I and I was I was ecstatic about the hire because it seemed like ev- anybody and everybody that I consider smart, like in the you know whether it was media or just former executives or whatever it may be, were kind of lauding the Browns for this move and didn't think they'd even be able to get Hugh Jackson and. It's just kind of devolved into this weird place where um, Hugh Jackson has done a really masterful job of kind of shifting the blame to to the front office and taking a lot of it off of himself. And I and even if you know, I feel like a lot of at least people I follow on Twitter and people I know like don't buy his like it's really easy to see through his BS. But um, it doesn't matter if we can see it because apparently like Jimmy Haslam can't and. Um, that's really the only person that matters here. And I think, like you mentioned, the A.J. McCarron trade, it really hit home. And this is when I knew that it was sort of over, was when, you know, when the Browns then played Cincinnati a couple weeks later and you saw Hugh Jackson bear-hugging A.J. McCarron, but then you also saw Jimmy Haslam and Hugh Jackson together both talking to A.J. McCarron and smiling and yucking up. And that's when when you knew. I mean, it was over right then. Um, So... It's just, it's tough because, you know, for all the accolades that people throw on Hugh Jackson for his work as an offensive coordinator, which I think, you know, are legit when he was in Cincinnati, um, he's just really not, it's been really strange to watch him operate here in Cleveland and um, to watch his, some of his play calls that make absolutely no sense. I mean, they happen on a weekly basis, like just last week when it's third and 11 and he's running a triple option and they're getting four <laughs> yards. And But that's like something that's happening on a weekly basis. And he's still horrible with timeouts before the half and clock management and his handling of Deshaun Kaiser and the quarterback situation there has, has been absurd. And like, he's done so many things that just don't make any sense and are, are not reflective of a good coach or somebody that knows offense or somebody that is supposedly a, a quarterback whisperer. So um, I just don't really, I, I just don't really understand um, two things, I guess one, why, like why he's been such a poor coach here, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And then two, why he, why he seems to have this reputation in NFL circles of like this great coach and this great guy when it certainly seems like he's just kind of in it for himself and is and is having this power struggle with the GM um, and is now winning it's just re- it's a it's a huge turnoff and it's something that like I just don't as we go forward it just kind of makes me nervous in terms of like how much influence he's going to have over over this team yeah, and see, well, I mean, that's the thing real quick. I mean, here's the guy who's lost winnable games this year because he foobarred the coaching on game day. Uh, you know, his record is 1-27. and And, you know, now all of a sudden the narratives are changing. Oh, he wanted Deshaun Watson. Well, there's reports that he wanted Malik Hooker because he wanted to do it for Greg Williams because he thought, and look, you can see why he would have said they were interested in Malik Hooker for Greg Williams. Everybody can see it. We can, you know, obviously, you know, you know, poor Malik Hooker, I feel bad for him, obviously, you know, injured as well. The same thing as Deshaun Watson. But you can see why that was a guy. 
uh, you know, a guy that they would have had interest in. So I can understand that as well. But don't go have your media friends change what you said a year ago, eight months ago. Now, look, you won. So you know what? Just shut up. Take the high road for now. And now as far as the leaks, uh, you know, Ben Albright's a good friend of mine. And, you know, I talk with Ben a lot. And even, you know, when those surfaced, I even messaged him like, dude, are those really from Hugh himself? Because they sound like they're really from Hugh himself. He's like, no, no, they're not from Hugh. But, you know, you saw where the line was going. But here's the thing with the leaks. Uh, Jordan, you know, I don't think you got kids yet. I've got two daughters, 11 and almost 10. Here's the thing I know is the first one that comes to tattle or say this is what went wrong, I never believe that one. Because the first person to run their mouth is usually the one who's majority, you know, 90% guilty of whatever went down. So my children know not to come. If there's an incident, I'll find out about it. But they know not to tell because you want to know what? The first one that comes to tell, I think that's the one that's most guilty. And that's the way Hugh looks. And with him talking, oh, well, I don't know how the process is going this way. Maybe you should ask them how the process is going this way. You know, he sounded like the, you know, the guy who was so upset that nobody would invite him to lunch. And maybe it's because, look, bro, you didn't work hard enough to get with the front office. You worked hard enough to get in your owner's back pocket because you knew maybe that was the safest way of keeping your job. And maybe that's the way it looks where we're here today. Um, obviously, some names are coming out as, you know, potential fits. And, you know, maybe, you know, they're already saying that, you know, maybe they're seven-tenths down the line already as far as Dorsey coming in. Uh, give me a thought or two here. But the, the problem is, and like you said, you know, Jimmy Haslam may love Hugh Jackson. And that's great for Jimmy. But, you know, a lot of these big-name GMs, and especially guys who are coming from franchises where they put some nice things in place, you know, maybe they don't want your, you know, you know, your your stepson coaching the team, you know, so to speak. Yeah, it's um, I don't know what the incentive, you know, aside from um, how the Browns are set up. And, I, you know, I guess that's intriguing to GMs who want to come in and make their mark. I mean, I think that's like a big part of, you know, whenever people are like, why would this coach or this player or this GM want to come to the Browns? And I think like there's always this opportunity to this enticement of like, I'm the guy that finally turned you the Browns got around. Yeah. So Absolutely. I think that's like, that's a very real thing. Um, but I mean, you would, <laughs> with Haslam's track record, absolutely. Like, I don't know, you would have to really have a conversation with him. And even if you had a conversation with him and he promised you one thing, because I'm, I am, I'm almost certain that the initial conversation with Sashi Brown went, went similar. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on board. You know, I'm going to be with you guys for, two, three years, let's, you know, you're good, do your thing. And then that, you know, changes at the flip of a button because Jimmy Haslam is one of the most impatient people I think I've ever seen in, in terms of a business and running a, running a football team. So, I mean, I'm, I guess like there's, that's kind of the duality of it. It's like, okay, I could come to this team. They've got 80 million in cast space. They have all these draft picks. They already have like a, a somewhat decent foundation laid out for me. Like I could really come in here and hit on one draft and be a king if I, you know, like if I, if I hit on some of these picks and that's an enticing thing. And of course there's going to be the money side of it. And I'm sure Jimmy Haslam is going to offer them whatever they want. Um, But then you, you, you just have to be wary of, of his track record and how many people he's fired and how little time everybody has. And then, there's the Hugh Jackson thing too. Like that, that is just going to be such a. I just cannot believe they came out and, and said Hugh Jackson is going to be our coach in 2018. I know and that's why. Why didn't change. you just say, look, that's we're yeah. not addressing. We're not addressing that today. This right. is the move we made today. Yes, Hugh is still the coach of this team. 
Yeah. You didn't I, have to put 18 at the end of that. That's all they had to do. It just like blows my mind. It's just another example of just like the dysfunction that, that goes on year after year with this team. But um, I mean, John Dorsey is really intriguing to me. Um, I know that there were, this story has kind of been passed around today about his management style and how, you know, people, he kind of rubs some people the wrong way. And I obviously don't know enough about that because I'm not um, reading about the Chiefs every, um, every day. Um, I mean, I think some of his draft picks are really, um, like, obviously he took Marcus Peters, obviously he took, he took Travis Kelsey and Eric Fisher. And, um, he also, you know, they moved down or I'm sorry, they moved up and they took, um, excuse me, uh, they took, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes. um, and I love Patrick Mahomes and I wanted the Browns to take him. So like, and they made a move up to get him and he's going to be their quarterback of the future there, maybe as soon as next year. So like, I like that a lot. Um, Tyree kill is a guy obviously who had, you know, the domestic violence background is, um, you know, people object to that obviously, but you know, Peters Peters had his off field issues too, though. Yep. He did. So, um, but Tyree kill is obviously a, an incredible football player and you know he took a a local guy Kareem Hunt who um, has cooled off a little bit but had a really um, great start to the year so I mean there's there's a lot of um, draft picks to like and however you feel about Alex Smith as a quarterback and um, we've kind of although you know he had a he had a big game last week against the Jets and offensively was not the reason they lost but um, he he'd kind of gone into a bit of a hibernation last season but I mean he you know the Chiefs have been very successful with him at the helm they may never win a Super Bowl with him, but he went out and made a move and got Alex Smith, and now he's got Mahomes in the, waiting in the wings on a very good team. So, I mean, there's a lot to like about um, what what Dorsey has done in Kansas City, and, um, you know, especially if it's going to come down to, to quarterback being a, th- a big thing from Alex Smith to, and obviously Mahomes hasn't played, so we don't know what he is going to be in the NFL, but I, you know, I spent that was a guy I spent time with when he was working out before the draft and got to know. And then just from watching tape on him and like, I, I think Mahomes is going to be very good. So, uh, so I like that. So, I mean, I think like he it, it honestly sounds like since they, since the Browns have apparently had a coaching search or a GM search starting like a month ago, which is just an incredible thing to do when your GM is still employed. Um, <laughs> You know, they've had this going on for a little while, and when you hear things like, you know, John Dorsey is the guy on their radar, it just kind of makes you think that, like, that's going to be their guy, and they're just sort of working out the kinks or just ensuring the Giants don't try to nab him or whatever it may be. But um, that, to, to me, it seems like he's the guy. Um, whether they get him or not is another question, but it kind of seems like Dorsey is far and away the front runner from everything you've heard today. Well, I mean, and that's one thing with, you know, obviously with Dorsey, though, but if he does you know, look over to you know, the New York Giants, obviously a franchise with a lot more to offer as far as stability and, you know, a winning record and the way their franchises run. And there is no head coach there. So right. he knows right off the bat he gets to, you know, do that part of himself. Um, guys, uh, real quick, uh, Locked On Packers, Peter Bukowski, I joined this week. He's done some great shows this week. Anything you need Packer-wise, by all means, go ahead and check out Locked On, Pack, uh, Locked On Packers with Peter. does a great job over there. I, I do admit, I listen a lot. Peter does a great job. All right, we're going to go move a little further here. Um, and this is actually here. Here's another one. I told you I had a bunch of stuff screenshotted. Uh, this is another one of my favorites. Uh, NFC uh, from Mike Freeman from Bleacher Report. NFC general manager on the Browns. This level of ineptitude is historic. It all traces to Jimmy Haslam, quote, unquote. 
Look, Jimmy Haslam, it is great that you know Peyton Manning. It is great that you're friends with him. It does not mean that you are the smartest man in any room when it comes to football discussions. And that's kind of, you know, now I'm understanding this this Cleveland fan base and this, you know, the, the frustration that they're having is, is you have an owner who, look, you know, hand out cigars, you know, tap the kids on the head, take all the pictures in the parking lot. You want to be at the meetings, that's fine, but you cannot do everything you cannot own you cannot run you cannot do every aspect there is to running a professional sports organization and that's what seems what it is with jimmy yeah it's almost like this kind of reminds me of a a place i i worked once where um it sort of just felt like they they would try things and then a few months later they'd say yeah you know what we're not going to do that anymore we actually this seems like a better idea so why don't we start doing this and there was really like no rhyme or reason to it it was just like somebody read something or talked to somebody or some, you know, saw something, read an article and it decided that, Oh, well, this is what other places are doing. So why don't we actually start doing this? This seems to be working for them or whatever. And it really feels to me like that's exactly the type of owner that Jimmy Haslam is where just for example, this, um, Sashi Brown thing, but you even go back to like, hiring Rob Chudzinski and then firing him, you know, on the bus or whatever it was on the way back from the, Steel- <laughs> on the way back from the Steelers game after one season. And it just feels like, you know, he does something kind of gets it like wades halfway into the water and then either gets spooked or gets his emotions get in the way. He gets angry because he's not seeing the results he thought he would or whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm doing something completely different. Like, that's especially what it feels like with the Sashi Brown thing, because if you, what was the point of of hiring Sashi Brown, of, of allowing them to bring in Paul DePodesta, a guy who, like, those two together, you knew exactly what this was going to be, um, and then not even two full years into it, pulling the plug on it. Like, what was even the point of doing it in the first place if you, it's like he doesn't know himself. He doesn't know his temperament. He doesn't understand how impatient he is with things. And it, it feels like when he starts over, it's like this. It'll be different this time. And then he just does the exact same thing when he gets impatient. Um, so it, it, it's really hard to have any faith that um, moving forward, I think like this team, if this team ever does become competitive, and I hope that that's going to be the case next year, it's going to be in spite of Jimmy Haslam. It's going to be um, someone having to tell him to you know, back up or get out of my way. I'm, this is what we're doing here. This is what we're doing here. And um, it's not going to be because of Jimmy Haslam. And that, you know, that's just not a fun thing to think about. So, um, yeah, it really like that Freeman. I saw that Freeman tweet as well. I think it's spot on. It's like it all it's always started at the top with the Browns and whether it was Randy Lerner just not even like not being there and not really caring about the team or whatever um, that hurt them in that way. And then Jimmy Haslam obviously cares a ton, and that's maybe his only positive characteristic because the rest of it is he just has no idea what he's doing from a management standpoint of a football team. Um, and he, but he, he continues to think that he does know what he's doing and he's making these moves, and he is obviously wants to be very involved. And, um, yeah, like you said, just because you're best buds with Peyton Manning um, <laughs> if there, I retweeted Bomani Jones today because he said just a reminder that the, both the Tennessee and the Browns are both kind of run by the same booster, and it's Jimmy Haslam, and they are both mired. And in, where are they both? Right yeah, now? exactly. I mean, the, the Tennessee coaching search 
ended up almost more embarrassing than when the Browns, like Mike Pettin was their 15th interview before they could like find somebody to take that job. So um, it's just, it all just comes back to Jimmy Haslam and it's not a coincidence. Like this is just what goes on when this guy's and stuff. So I, you know, as a fan and as a person covering the team or whatever you may be, like it's just gotta be something you always have to be wary of. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, as, as crappy and shitty as today has been, nothing has really essentially changed. You know, for me, you, a lot of guys, you know, a lot of the longtime fan guys that I trust, I talk with, you know, they like what Sashi did, but nothing's changed. You still have the picks. You still have the yep. cap space. So, I mean, you know, you can't, you know, I mean, I know there's some, oh, well, that's it, I'm done, I'm out. That's not, you know, look, it was, regardless where we are, it is the almost the end of year two of a three-year process. It's all still here to be had. You know, should another shoe drop? Yes, another shoe should absolutely drop. And if you're going to go new front, I, and that's the thing, because, you know, Matt Miller was a little riding Sashi a little bit today. And I asked him, I'm like, well, why are you riding Sashi so hard? I'm like, right, were you pro-Hugh? And he's like, no, I was pro-new everybody. You know, then, then I'm better with it then. If you're pro, you know what, bring in everybody new. Yep. Maybe I, that I'm okay with. At that point, I understood. So, you know, but maybe that shoe's going to be dropping. Maybe he just, you know, Jimmy just said what he said for today because he didn't want to deal with a, you know, a second firestorm within the building. You know, so look, there's still a good, you know, regardless of what was said today, there's still a good shot. You know, Hugh still might not be here. At the end of the day, he's on pace for a 1-31 record, 2-30 at best. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, somebody's going to show Jimmy that and say, look, here are all the guys who ever went 2-30 and and saw a third year. And it's going to be nobody on the list. So, you know, maybe that'll be something that'll open Jimmy's eyes to it. Uh, Jordan, before we wrap this up, is there anything you missed on or you want to hit on real quick? Um, no, I mean, I think it's just listening to you say that there. You know, it's interesting, too. Um, we talk about whether or not this other shoe is going to drop. I just can't imagine, um, especially knowing now the relationship that Hugh Jackson has with Jimmy Haslam, it means that Hugh Jackson has a little bit of power. And um over this organization so if i was a gm like that i'd be wary of that too it's like i'm I'm not coming into a situation where you're best buds with the coach and like he has some kind of sway over you like that's not how this is going to go you can't come into a situation like that so i think that's another thing that you know we'll see how it shakes out but um i think it only i just yeah going back to the whole hugh is our coach moving at least into next year just is such a nonsensical thing because um you're really kind of turning off a bunch of uh, candidates that may want to come in and, and kind of start over. But, um, yeah, you know, I think just kind of like fi- just final thought on, on the Sashi thing. It's like, you know, sometimes I think it's like, oh, okay, am I being like too pot? Like, am I, do I, did I like Sashi too much? Did I just like, am I kind of, you know, embellishing, you know, what he did as a GM? And I, I don't think I am. Like, I think there's obviously, aside from the quarterback, there's still plenty of misses. Like, I think, you know, Car- I don't think Carl Nass is very good and they took him very high not very high excuse me but fairly high and he just really has not panned out as a defensive lineman and he's awful against the run and um you you saw last week the you know when Emmanuel Ogbo is no longer in there and you're you're replacing him with Carl Nassib and then you know that that first draft like Corey Coleman has has been hurt um and then the rest of the receivers that they that they drafted have all kind of been busts and you know ricardo lewis plays a little bit but he drops a ton of passes and then the rest of those guys jordan payton's not on the team richard higgins but yeah but but where were they drafted though right no they 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 were were three wide receivers i mean you hope that they're gonna last and you know but 
They were, but just you know, just to try and balance it out a little bit is you know, it's like he missed. But that's the thing about the NFL draft is that like, I think there's this sense, especially from Browns fans, that like these GMs are hitting on every single pick, like on other teams that are good, and it's like, no, they're not. They're hitting on the ones that matter, which is the quarterback, um, you know, defensive line, those guys. They're hitting on those. Um, but plenty of GMs are missing on multiple picks, and that's why, like, I agree with the overall idea that accumulating more picks, you have more chances um, at the crapshoot that is the NFL draft. And it is by far of any of any league one of the hardest leagues to evaluate talent um, at the college level because the games are so different. So I'm all for amassing picks and giving yourself more and more chances to find the right player. Um, I also understand that one of those picks eventually needs to be the quarterback. So again, like I said at the beginning, I understand the people that um, that were could not look past the passing on Wenton Watson, and, and that's fine. And that's probably ultimately what cost Sashi his job. But um, I think that, especially if the Browns capitalize on on this draft coming up in this third year, that when we look back, we may look back at Sashi with a fonder view than we do now. Um, because I do think he made and has found some very good players, and that's a that's a rarity when it comes to Browns GMs. <laughs> Since 1999, they have been historically bad at the draft. So um, I think my hope is that they find a competent GM who comes in. Whatever happens with Hugh, I don't know yet. Whatever happens with that happens, but that they do. Um, hit on this upcoming draft and have a good year three and move forward from there so that we can kind of look back on these first couple of years of, of Sashi and say, you know what? Yeah, you know what? He he did a pretty good job. He didn't do the best job in the world. He didn't do, he's not the guy that brought in the franchise quarterback, but, um, you know, he kind of set the foundation. And, and so we'll see how we, we end up looking back on his tenure. It's, you know, I mean, it seems like he set the table. He, you know, put the meal in the oven. Everybody showed up and, he was basically removed, you know, like when a, a TV show, you know, all of a sudden after like three years, like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, where all of a sudden they changed the mom after all these years. Yeah. You know, I mean, it almost feels like th- that's kind of what was done to Sashi here. You know, he doesn't get to see this last year through. Uh, you know, it's just a tough blow. I feel bad for him. You know, do, do I think the guy, you know, was in running for GM of the year? No. But, I mean, he basically had to burn the house to the ground, start from scratch, um, you know, was on pace for 36 draft picks over three years. You know, finally got to the point where he had a sellable product to free agents. Just, I, I mean, it, it is a head scratcher of a move. Um, you know, for this team, for this fan base, I hope it turns out. You know, you know, maybe now, you know, I, I understand. Maybe you're thinking, oh, maybe we can get, you know, get ourselves a bigger guy, a bigger name at this job. I just would have, you know, I think the more Cleveland thing and the way everything goes in that city, I just think the better move would have let the guy to continue the course. But Jordan, uh, thanks so much. Uh, you know, obviously you're not going to be a stranger around here. No, there's, get, there's always something happening with the Browns. And <laughs> every this is year. What I'm learning. This is what I'm learning. <laughs> it's never a dull moment. If, if they were a New York franchise, oh my God, it would be, oh. it'd be electric. It would be electric. And that's what I thought, you know, and somebody came to me like, Jeff, oh my God, like, what did you get yourself into? I'm like, are you crazy? I said, they only asked me to do five shows a week. I said, I can do 15. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I can, I, I can turn this into a you know, nine hour a day radio network. Yeah. I mean, they're, the saying with them is like, they're bad, but they're never boring. Yeah. And you know what? I don't know what Josh Gordon was back, had a good game, you know, maybe feeling a little bit of pressure. 
right now, I haven't heard Josh Gordon's name in like in 10 hours. Josh Gordon's I like, know. all right, we'll see you all Sunday. <laughs> and the other thing is, is this is a winnable game for them. And I, I, was, on, I was on Locked On Packers this week with Peter Bukowski. I had Aaron Nagler on with me last night. This game is the Packers' season. If they lose, Aaron Rodgers probably isn't coming back. He gets the scan, but it, they're going to look at it and say, you want to know, even if we bring Aaron back, why are we going to risk him? We're not going to catch these people. This is the Packers' Super Bowl Sunday right now. From every, I mean, this is their first playoff game. From week in, week out, if they lose this game, the season's over. That's what these guys are telling me. So, hey, you want to know what, regardless, at the end of the day, you know what, Browns, go get yourself a W. Just don't get a second one. Keep that number one pick. Hold all the cards. Exactly. Yep. Jordan, exactly. again, I appreciate I appreciate you for your time. Locked on Browns, episode 127. Quote, unquote, see you, Sashi. Uh, you want to know what? Congratulations on a job. Well done to this point. It's a shame you didn't get to see it through. Good night, everybody, and let's go Browns.